All right. So, well, we had some technical difficulties that we've got through, and we're pushing forward to part 22, Isaiah, Prophet Isaiah, Conscience of Yahweh. So um, I'm going to wait on getting into chapter 36 and beyond because uh, that takes up a new segment of Isaiah's prophecies. And um, we'll pretty much have a short um, part 22 here, I think. Um, there certainly is some things that I feel necessary for us to get um, covered. And we're going to recap a little bit of uh, chapter 34, but we're basically living in times much like that of Isaiah's day. Uh, profound corruption. <laughs> I mean, do we not have profound corruption within the house of uh, our house of America and indeed the world at large? I, I think so. Um, the blessing um, of judgment and the pronouncement of judgment is actually a blessing and the eventual literal fulfillment was to and did have profound worldwide implications and too often i believe the christian can easily ignore or disregard the significance of the implications by more or less solely reflecting on the prophetic judgment as merely against judah in this particular case of the prophet Isaiah. And for me, I take great comfort and courage in the worldwide consequences. From the opening passage of chapter 35, one can be quickly removed from despair and into an awe-inspiring salvation from even our own destruction today. If we believe in the scriptures and believe that God is still active and moving throughout his creation. And the prophet Isaiah has this point in his written record, um, already presented nearly a dozen predictions or prophecies which are occurring in his very lifetime, beginning with Isaiah chapter 7, with Judah's deliverance from Syria and Israel, and Isaiah chapter 8, Jacob Israel's destruction along with Syria by the Assyrians who will subsequently invade Judah. The Philistines uh, would be subjugated and Moab would be plundered at Isaiah chapters 14 to 16. And Assyria will continue their exploits upon Ethiopia and Egypt. And Arabia is pillaged and plundered at chapters 20 and 21. Even Hezekiah would be given 15 years more to reign as his illness is taken away. We learn of that at 2 Kings 18 to 20, obviously. But that's going to actually be um, coming up in Isaiah chapter 38. And then Tyre is also subdued at chapter 23. And I think maybe beginning this part 22, once again, as I mentioned, I think we'll begin it at chapter 34. 
verses 16 to 35 2. so let's do isaiah 34 and we'll begin at 16 and run through 35 2. here we go seek you out of the book of yahweh and read no one of these shall fail none shall want her mate for my mouth it has commanded and the spirit it has gathered them He's cast the lot for them. His hand has divided it unto them line by line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation shall they dwell therein. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Kamel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of Yahweh and the excellency of our God. In the scripture. In verse 16, there's a very important admonition. From Yahweh through Isaiah, instructing to seek you out the book of Yahweh and read. And so I want to take a little time on this. The context for this verse 16 is found, no surprise, in the preceding verses. And more importantly, it conveys that the prophecy which are being recorded here in Isaiah, like the book, or in absolute harmony with the book, has been written and thus informs the reader of the veracity of the things written therein. The veracity or the confirmation is that not one of the things written is without its mate, or its companion verse, if you will, or prophecy. It has been fashionable by today's critics of the Bible to discredit or entirely disregard the book and even its application to today. So I wanted to spend at least a few minutes reacclimating ourselves to the concept of the book and the admonition to read it. The debate of whether the book was written by Moses or a later author really distracts from the weightier matter itself. Surprise, surprise. The weightier matter is that there is a book throughout the Old Covenant with instructions to write it, add to it from time to time, read from it, recite from it, and was to be maintained for instruction and remembrance. And one can cite more than two dozen examples from the Bible of it being written, if you will, in real time, not later. The book begins its journey by Yahweh's command in Exodus chapter 17 and finds for one of its mates in the last old covenant book of malachi 
chapter 4, verse 4. At Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, Yahweh said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. End quote. This specifically referred to Amalek's interaction and assault on Israel. It would be 400 years later under Saul at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3, that the words Moses recorded would be confirmed or find their mate. At Exodus chapter 24, verse 4, Moses wrote Yahweh's words, and at verse 7, he took the book and read it to the people, to which the people said, all that Yahweh has said, we will do and be obedient. At Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 5, Moses declares this, this law from what he was commanded to write. Deuteronomy 4.8 contemplates more than the deuterocanonical canon alone. Deuteronomy 17.18 instructs that an appointed leader is to have a copy of the book that the priest maintained. Even the Song of Moses was to be written at Deuteronomy 31.19. Joshua himself came into possession of the book at Joshua 1.8. As a leader in Israel, Joshua made a copy, Joshua 8.30-35. At Joshua 24.26, Joshua wrote in the book and most likely added the record of the death of Moses at Deuteronomy 34. At 1 Samuel 10, verse 25, Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book. I have often wondered why Samuel seemed to neglect the known duty of the book. In fact, the known duty of Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 to 20, which was clearly to limit and prevent the circumstances of the leadership self-aggrandizement that was recorded for us at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 11 to 20. David instructed Solomon at 1 Kings 2, 1-4, regarding this written record and law. At 2 Kings 11 and 12, Joash was given the book in accordance with the written record at Deuteronomy 17 and 18. Jehoshaphat, at 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 7 to 9, sent the princes of the land to teach Judah from the book of the law of Yahweh. Hezekiah and Josiah's Passover keeping was according to the book of Moses. In fact, 
Hezekiah kept it in accordance with the 30-day-later provision that was recorded in Numbers 9, 6-14. Obviously, part of the book. Nearly, if not all, of the prophets refer to this book. Christ definitively contrasts this book with the precepts of men at Matthew 15, 1-9. Let's go there now. Turning with me to Matthew chapter 15. One to nine. Then came Jesus, came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For Yahweh commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother. And he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, whosoever shall say to this father, to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou might be profited by me, and honors his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus you've made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth, and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Parallel passage of that is in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. And just to come full circle... Malachi, as I mentioned, provides the capstone, so to speak, by referring the student and reader to Horeb, where Moses received it. So, throughout our Bibles, and I realize I did not go through each of those passages, and I have time for it, and perhaps I should have, because this is going to be a shorter um, uh, part 22. Uh, simply because I'm not going to go into chapter 36 because that begins a new part of um, of Isaiah's prophecies that I'd like to break uh, it away from this first section of prophecies that we've done up to chapter 35 here. So I think I've sufficiently given you the locations of the book that it's not so much necessary for us to go to each of those passages. My intention was to remind us about that book and the necessity of Christ's admonition that we must know of the book and what is written in the book that we might be better equipped for the kingdom, dominion, that Christ was handing over to us to carry out in his creation. So, as I said, throughout our Bibles, there is a, the unmistakable link 
like a continuous chain, each link drawing the reader together. And you can easily do this with a chain reference Bible. I use Thompson's red letter chain reference Bible. Or you can, you, and in that case, in a chain reference, you can simply go to the word book in the concordance or the glossary. And you can easily find these passages that I've referenced and more even by cross-referencing those in many Bibles which use cross-reference notes. So I trust that it's not an unhinged diversion, if you will, because the way I see it and the way I believe Yahweh intends it is that we would have these things in remembrance, meaning by reading of them, we would put two and two together, or we would find its mate in the written record. Now, we've already read chapter 35, verses 1 and 2, and the essence of this chapter 35, in a nutshell, is all about transformation. The transformation which was to occur and Yahweh's restoration in his divine healing and protection. Once again, giving way to his holy and righteous ways in the land. It is symbolized as a day, or we could say symbolized as a time that was depicted or pictured, if you will, as a dry, parched desert, a formidable wilderness, which blossoms out of the desolation. And so joyous is this event to be that the glory of Lebanon would be given unto it for the purpose and glory of Yahweh. By seeking out the book, his people had the record, but none seemed able to yet perceive the promises of redemption or the revealed characteristic of God's mercy and redemption, which Isaiah presents here in the remaining verses of chapter 335. Let's read chapter 35, verse 3, through the end of the chapter. Strengthen you the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees, the salvation of Excuse me, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even Yahweh, with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and a tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and a way in which shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, 
but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, thou fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of Yahweh shall return and come to Zion with the songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Even Paul, in his epistle to the Hebrews, turn with me to 1212. Hebrews 12, verse 12, Wherefore, lift up the hands which were hung down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths of your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man can see Yahweh. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Yeah. Apostle Paul. Instructing those to be strong, just as here in Isaiah's day, when a swift judgment and destruction 